Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I'm Zach. And we're together again. Yes. On set simultaneously. Yeah. You probably were sick of my low quality feed for those of you who watch on YouTube. So I apologize for that. But we're back in studio. Excellent. Which means everything is as it should be. Mm -hmm. So that being the case, why not bring to you an exceptional conversation today? We've got Courtney Frerichs on, of course, American record holder in the steeplechase, number four all-time in the world, world, Olympic silver medalist, world championship silver medalist. What can't she do? Seriously. Well, here's the thing. She's going to talk to us about confidence mm. and what greater kind of athlete to address such a topic than someone who has done what she has done. Mm-hmm. So it's an excellent conversation. You're going to appreciate and enjoy that and stay tuned for that soon. Afterward, we're going to share a few things from the world of running, including a new American record, a new European record on the roads, and some very fascinating, crazy, interesting, and otherwise strange things that have happened, like intentionally running the wrong way in a world marathon major event. Mm, intrigue. You'll find out more. Stick around for the world of running. And with that, you also need to head right now to a to z running.com. Look for the word follow because that's where all the good things begin. And then go to YouTube and subscribe. And go to the <laughs> podcast places and subscribe. And go to social You're media places so greedy, and follow. You're sounding so greedy, Zach. <laughs> well, the reason or, why you might want to do this is because <laughs> you can get involved in the conversation. Really, this is a community. Oh, that's the a to z running why, yes. is a running community. And we appreciate everything that you add. For instance, on Instagram this week, we were posting about recovery because last week's episode was about recovery. And John wrote this. Great advice. I would also recommend taking beet extract every day. It is the best source of dietary nitrates. Nitrate is the precursor to nitric oxide and improves blood flow, especially to working muscles. Mm. See, I extract beet from nearly all rhythm. Oh, goodness. Bad joke. Well... We have actually taken beat in the past, and this is a great reminder for us to get back on that because it is a very valuable way to help us improve blood flow. So thank you to John for contributing to the conversation. And with that, you need to hear one quick word from this episode's sponsor, Rooftree. Yeah, so Rooftree Elite Massage Gun. I can't get enough of this thing. I brought it to Texas with me. In fact, I brought this to work with me. We stand on our feet all day for my job, and so my coworkers enjoyed using the massage gun as well, and they were asking me where they could get it, and of course, I said, Rooftree, you can get it on Amazon. So make sure you check it out. It's a great massage tool to, again, <laughs> help blood flow. I feel like I'm saying that a lot these days, but helping blood flow does. is a great way to improve recovery. So you got to have tools like this to help improve that recovery time to get back doing what we love, and that is to run and to train. So, John, drink your beet juice and beat your muscles with roof tree and jam to some solid beats. And you've oh got my an excellent day afoot. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and for more bad jokes, continue on. 
No, actually, the rest of this is going to be nothing Joke bad free. at all. So let's hear now from our main topic, our conversation with Courtney Frerichs. Today on the A to Z podcast, we are honored to have Olympic medalist Courtney Frerichs on the show to talk about confidence. And you may be wondering, like, how does a person like this have anything to say about confidence? Are they automatically a confident person? Well, Courtney had to, in the midst of all that she's done, maintain confidence at the world stage, had the kind of confidence that you need to take an Olympic race out. Wow. Wow. Ever did she take that race? Yes. So that's an interesting point. I appreciate that you brought that up, Andy, because isn't it just assumed that you have to be a confident person to compete athletically in that caliber of kind of level? Um, And of course, the answer is not necessarily. And that's not to even suggest that confidence is a permanent state, whether it is or it is not. Mm -hmm. Because as Courtney will share, there's a significant potential for things like an ebb and flow Mm -hmm. over the course of time. And she had to deal substantially with some serious ebbs or flows, depending on which direction you're headed and how to get back out of that and how to address and, uh, and recognize those things. And Mm -hmm. so, so she's going to share a lot of that. What else Andy do our listeners need to know about Courtney? Yeah. Like Zach mentioned in the beginning, she's a two time Olympian, American record holder in the 3000 meter steeplechase. But not only is she really good at the steeplechase events, I did want to mention that this past year she earned herself a new flat PR as hurdlers and steeplechasers call it in the 5,000 meters on the track in 1450. And she has the NCAA collegiate record. There are so many accolades that I could share with you about Courtney. And you should definitely get to know Courtney and follow her journey, do some research on her. I'll list a bunch of stuff on a to z running.com that you can read up. But today, we really do want to hear from Courtney herself. So let's get to that conversation. Courtney Frerichs, welcome to the show. Welcome to our conversation here. And I wanted to, I said this off air, but I wanted to say it now for our listeners sake at the moment. Clearly they can see that it's just Zach, no Andy here for the conversation. And Andy is terribly sad to miss the chance to be able to talk with you. Um, And our listeners will know why very clearly as we get into the conversation. Courtney, you have had one of the most profound running journeys in our opinion you know this is certainly i guess a subjective thing but as we've seen like the last five six years here and been able to just observe um the the experiences from the outside looking in it's just been an incredible thing to watch and um, certainly such a great pleasure for the running community to see you in the sport and what you've done Uh, but we also know you've shared in some ways um that it's it's not just you know it's not just what we see on the surface um it's not just about the going out in the training and such there's other things involved in that and we want to explore some of that a little bit with you but before we do thanks for joining the show appreciate your time here with us thank you so much for having me i'm really excited to be here <laughs> thank you so the first question that i have to start here because it's the thing that just uh, well, recent news, you know, first and and also just such an incredible thing to see this summer. So Olympic silver medal and an American record and number four all time 
running under nine minutes in the 3000 meter steeplechase, which is, um, you know, I, so I, I ran steeplechase collegiately and I remember the talk amongst the guys when we're talking about, you know, when a guy is starting to run under nine minutes and you're feeling like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm something in the sport. And yet here you are doing this at the very highest level. Um, what, what was this summer like for you? Can, can you just tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> Um, honestly, it was just such a dream come true. Um, there's been so much focus on this summer because, you know, you try as a track field athlete to not, or just an Olympic sport athlete to not necessarily let the Olympics define your success in the sport, but it just kind of inherently happens because everything operates in these Olympic cycles. So, um, yeah, to, to walk away from the summer with a silver medal and then to have gone into nine, is just an absolute dream come true. <laughs> how else yeah what else can it be <laughs> right um that so let's let's hone in on that olympic race a moment because naturally and i'm sure it's the question everyone asks um late in the race when you did the thing that always makes everyone's jaws drop and you just took off and on an olympic final and you basically told the world that you were the one to beat in that race um I would love to know what was what was in your mind in that moment and the moments right before and right after. Take us take us to the race a little bit if you're willing to. Yeah, um, you know, after the prelim, Jerry and I started talking about maybe what the race plan would be, and we kind of had a few scenarios in mind. But the one he kept coming back to was, "Don't be afraid to take the lead, and for it to possibly be early." And I was, I was pretty terrified because, you know, I think for so many years, I envisioned my chance at winning an Olympic medal coming from just hanging on as long as I could and being there with the, with the lap to go kind of like London in 2017, when I won silver at the world championships. And so, um, it wasn't really until this year that we started to kind of embrace being the one to go to the front and, and make a hard push. And, you know, looking in hindsight, he'd really been preparing me all season long for that kind of move with some of those early races, even the way I raced the Olympic trials and even just some of the stuff I was doing in practice. And so um, as daunting as the plan was to, to be prepared to have to do that, I think I knew deep down that I was going to walk away just feeling like I'd laid it all out there if, if I made a move like that. Um, and that was something that I look back at the Rio games in 2016 and, you know, I wasn't in the medal conversation, winning a medal really wasn't a realistic goal, but running scared also wasn't something I wanted to have define like that Olympic experience. And it, it, it did. I was nervous on the international stage. I just sort of ran within my comfort zone and I just knew going into these games, I didn't want to walk away with that feeling. And so, you know, I, I think making that shift from feeling like a certain place had to define success for me that day to, you know, I'm literally going to do everything I can to be the best version of myself led to the confidence to make a move like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was the first 400 meters I was in the front was, was a bit terrifying. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine at did did that terrifying sensation you know first 400 meters you said did that start to change after that uh how what was your mind doing as you were continuing to hold the lead but i, I imagine you were aware that things were starting to change behind you as well and what what started to happen there 
yeah, I think I got through the first lap in the front and I just started to gain more confidence. I started to fully believe that I belonged up in the front and that I was absolutely doing what I needed to, to be successful. And, you know, that was just my ultimate goal. And for that to be playing out, I was gaining confidence and I actually really wasn't putting a lot of, in, of thought into what was happening behind me. And I think that that was good. I had so much focus on what was in front that I wasn't wasting any energy on anything else in the race. I just knew I wanted to be decisive and I wanted to, um, you know, make it, make it hard. And I, I really had no idea that from 1200 to 800, I had run as fast as I did. I just knew that, you know, we discussed everyone can run the last lap, but it's the people that can run the second lap, make the moves in the further out that um, you kind of almost dare them to go with you. And so that's what was going through my head. It was like, if I can make the moves now, maybe I can run the kick out of their legs. <laughs> so it's just like, I need to just keep pushing and pushing on the gas. And, um, you know, I even ran the, the kick out of my own legs a bit. I definitely like the wheel started to fall off, but um, yeah, I was really proud of how I put it out there, like laid it all out there. And um even I, you know, Jerry prepared me going into the race that with 400 meters to go, I could look around and everyone could be there and they may all go around me. But even in those situations, you can't assume it's over because that may be their last move. All you can do is try to latch on. And so when Peruth went around me down the backstretch, all I kept thinking was I have to reattach. And, you know, I tried to hang on as, as best as I could. But I think by having that piece of advice on focusing still on what was in front, um, I was able to just keep pushing forward and not, not think about how far behind are they now? Like, are they catching me and things like that? It was just like finish line. <laughs> yeah. And you have to wonder. So in watching the race, you know, seeing, seeing you there and watching the field, you have to wonder, because one of the things that always happens in that moment is the other runners are starting to constantly question, is she going to come back? Like, can, can I stay close enough? And the way you executed that, I have no doubt every single one of them felt like they're, they, at the very least, they had very little chance of making up that ground. Um, because you weren't, you weren't looking over your shoulder constantly. You weren't, you know, wondering visibly where they were around you. You were just powering ahead. And it, you just made it so hard for anyone to mentally be able to believe that they could. And certainly physically, you know, you just, you just put it, you, you put the work into anyone who wanted to make that chase. And, you know, clearly one made the chase and most looked like they just basically felt like it was impossible before they even had the chance to try. And that, that's really, that's really something. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. I think I just, I wanted to let go of the idea of what was supposed to happen or how things were supposed to play out or what the paces were supposed to look like. Like, you know, someone asked me if I knew what my splits were in the last mile, because it certainly was a little all over the place. I was like, I have no idea. I just, I just ran, I went for it. I trusted the feeling versus, you know, the X plus Y equals has, equals Z, you know, and that's so like, innate for me. Like I want everything to be an equation. I want it to be this perfect pace, but huh. by embracing, like just going with my, you know, gut feeling, I think that was where like kind of the magic happened. I think that's how I was able to execute something like that and just trust that I, no matter what the end result was that I was going to walk away proud. Mm. 
So this is so this is weighty in in some way. You know, this is a heavy thing because at, if if we were to unpack this a bit, what you're really you're talking about here, Courtney, is that um, you have to have a certain set of beliefs in in that moment. You have to have a certain set of commitments. You know, the decision to do it at all and the commitment to sustain that decision. Um, all of these kinds of things. And and what that starts to tell me is, and you've said the word enough times now, and I we've you know put the title on the episode here, confidence is so fascinating in, in how it plays with these kinds of things. Um, and, and it's not something that it, by your own admission has been necessarily present in all of your high level experiences. You know, you went back to Rio there in a reflection and, um, and you, you have mentioned that this is something you've worked to address in some ways too, um, in terms of your competition and what you think about your competitors and some of those kinds of things all plays into it. So I'm curious if you're willing to share then, um, does that experience, before we go back in time, does that experience after that race change the way in any sense how you feel about yourself as a runner or how you feel about yourself amongst your competitors um you know think about then the very next race you run after that do you feel differently about yourself in that next race or or not what, what is that um you know i do think i carried a, a new level of confidence into the next races but i also worked on trying to view them as independent events as well so finding that balance you know um carrying the confidence that i belong there but also knowing that you know no matter what happens in the next race isn't going to take away from what previously has happened and I think that's a big shift that's happened as well because I think sometimes like you know I remember when I ran the American record in 2018 I suddenly seemed less confident on the line because I um, was putting so much pressure on like what needed to happen that I started to run scared again wow. so yeah the balance of take the confidence because I've done it and I've been there before but no matter what happens here it's not going to take away that's huge. Yeah. And, and it's, that's not an easy mindset. I don't think to have, um, for most of us, we tend to be, we tend to be ruled by to some degree, the, those feelings and aren't necessarily even aware of the need to command them in that sense. Um, so it kind of, it makes me wonder then Courtney, if you're willing to take us back to some of those moments, you know, post 2016, uh, Olympics, or you mentioned post-American record in 2018, where you felt like there was a, a slip backward. Um, what do you do when you're in a period where you're saying to yourself, there's, there's something I'm lacking here. My confidence is low or my mindset is not quite right. What do you do to address that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's been like a, a really big journey to finding the right way to address confidence and, and honestly, just in the mental side of the sport as a whole. Um, you know, early in my professional career, I was working with a really great sports psychologist and I thought, you know, I made a lot of progress, but just like, I think we have a tendency to do with like physical health. We sometimes go away from the very like rehab, prehab routines that kept us healthy and we find ourselves injured again. And I, I started, I found I did that with, um, you know, my confidence, the mental side of the sport, the very things that helped me find success and stand on the line confident, I kind of walked away from, I think, because I thought I had it all figured out. And in reality, I think we're constantly figuring things out. It's always a work in progress. It's never like, 
oh, here was one really good race. I've got it under control now. And so, you know, I look and I had a lot of really great successes um, post 2016 games because I knew that was something that I lacked and struggled with on the international stage and we addressed it, but then I stopped addressing. I kind of thought I was good to go. Um, and you get to the world championships in 2019 where arguably I was fitter than I was the prior years, but I wasn't, I wasn't confident. I wasn't, I didn't run that race. Like I believed I could be up in the front or walk away with the medal. Um, you know, I did the moves that I thought I needed to, but didn't have the belief and confidence behind them. And so the second the the race got hard or that it played out a little bit differently than I thought it was going to, um, you know, I just went to a really negative place and I walked away really unhappy with, with that finish. And, you know, had I been sixth, but I ran with full confidence, I would have had my head held up high, but it hurt knowing that I wasn't my most confident self that day. And, you know, it took a long time though, to figure out how to fully address it all again. Um, Cause then of course we go into like all of COVID <laughs> and uh, you know, I think that there was so much to process and, and, you know, deal with just the potential of the Olympic games not happening that really addressing the mental side of racing or even just training wasn't on the forefront. It was more just like, how do I process that this goal I've had for so long might not happen. And so, you know, finally we move into Olympic year round two and I'm dealing with a little bit of an injury and these things I was struggling with in racing were starting to become apparent in practice. And, you know, I was really starting to struggle in training. Like as soon as something wasn't playing out how I thought it should, or, you know, I have a tendency to think pacing needs to be absolutely perfect the entire time, or I just would like panic. And so, um, you know, between my husband, who's really involved in my career and uh, we ran together in college, he knows me very well. He actually just finished his master's degree in positive coaching. So he has an understanding of, you know, some of these things that maybe we're not addressing fully. And he was the one that first brought it to me that, you know, maybe we need to address the anxiety I was having around training and racing a little more. And I went to camp, it was still very present and hadn't really done anything yet. And finally I broke down to Shalane at a practice. It was like, I really, really need to figure this out because I don't want to finish my career and feel like I didn't actually reach my potential because I wasn't confident. Um, and so, you know, I found a really, really awesome therapist who does, she's a runner, so she does sports psychology, but we also just do general life and things like that. And we just really started to tackle it in practice and in life because I needed to figure it out in those settings before I was going to be able to figure it out in racing. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a big process, but it's been really, really amazing. And, you know, I look back at Tokyo and 
the biggest change was I was standing on that line, happy, confident, and, and so grateful to be there versus standing on the line thinking I have to win a medal or I was a failure today. Yeah. And what an incredible contrast that how, how do you how do you know as you're describing so certainly there's you know there's kind of like an emotional obviation um you finish a workout and the way you're feeling about it or the self-talk involved in that but how do you know when you're headed in the right direction or the wrong direction with that um how do you know when you're when you're in Tokyo and not you know not at, at the race venue, but you're just kind of like sitting in your room and you're thinking about things? How do you know that you're in the right place at that point? Um, I think that I knew I was in the right place because the overwhelming feeling I was having was gratitude. Hmm. Um, I just I felt nervous in the sense that you know I knew. I knew what, where I was, like I was at the Olympic games and I knew all the work I'd put in. I knew how badly I wanted it, but I mostly just felt so grateful and I felt excited. And I think that that shift versus, I think in previous years, the overwhelming feeling was nervousness and fear of failure. Um, and so it's, it's, it's definitely hard to put into words though. Like, those because all the feelings are still there like the nerves don't go away the fear doesn't always go away but um you know you learn to put more i think energy and focus into yeah just being thankful and 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 grateful and i, I think that's a result of covid as well like so many opportunities were taken away for people that it was like you can't just always assume there's going to be another one and I think that that was something, you know, maybe I look back in Rio and I struggled to, I was definitely just excited to be in Rio and maybe struggled to take the risk because I'd always yeah. talked about Tokyo versus like, you know, the Rio games. And so it was like, you know, how am I going to be in this race that I'm in versus thinking about the next one? And, you know, that was something we even talk about within workouts or races, like how am I in the lap I'm in and not putting energy into, you know, a lap that's four laps away. Being really present. <laughs> that's that's not uh that's not always an easy thing. Um, and so you just mentioned it. You know, in practice, you think about that. I imagine this is something that, based on that description, this is something that's quite a regular part of the way you train and and the way you go about. Even you mentioned like it, it's something you have to look at in life first. Even um, I'm curious if if you're willing, Courtney, what are two or three specific things that might be a good example of one right there? You know, thinking about when you're on when you're in the workout, think about the lap you're in, not the next one, not the, you know, um, so that's a good example. What else are some specific things that you have or, or do that help you to work toward this important goal of keeping the mindset, keeping the confidence? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things that we first started working on was just, if something starts to play out differently than you expect, if someone starts to push the pace in a workout, or, you know, maybe you're struggling with a rep, instead of my reaction, my natural reaction is to tense up and to kind of almost stop breathing. The shoulders rise and stopping breathing while running is the last thing you want to do. And so recognizing that, okay, you know, there's a little bit of panic setting in, let's breathe first. Because then you're going to be able to think a little clearly, more clearly about 
okay, you know what? I'm going to stay attached for one more lap or I'm going to get through this rep and I'll reassess and we'll start again. Things like that instead of, you know, the, oh my gosh, I'm going to fall off or I can't do this. And then your mind goes to the end versus, you know, being able to stay in, in, in the present lap. Um, so breathing was a huge thing we first addressed. Um, and then there was just a lot of, you know, focus on, you know, what is the goal of this workout? Um, what do I want to get out of it? And for me this season, you know, I was doing a lot of training with Elise and Carissa who are phenomenal athletes. And I was very, very nervous. I was like, Oh my gosh, they run so fast. Like, and I think sometimes I would get overwhelmed and I wouldn't believe I belonged working out with them. And so, you know, we would talk about it and it'd be like, okay, the goal I want, she would be like, I want you to focus on knowing you belong in this workout. And so, um, you know, when things, I would start to get nervous or I would start to feel overwhelmed. It would be like, you belong here. You can do this. And so having those key words and or our mantras, I'm like a big fan of them. And, and I look back and I've actually probably had, like, I've really had them throughout a lot of my running career. Um, and so kind of defining ones throughout the season, I think can be really important. And, um, you know, I, I always found too, that as I would define them during the season, they become really important on race day as well, because, you know, these words and these mental approaches, when you start to go to that place on race day, suddenly it feels familiar. It's, you're not going to a place you haven't been before. That's rich. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want, they always say every coach, right? And this is every sport, but every coach always says you don't want the day of competition to be the first time you're doing something or, the, or, you're having to like break in something new or different. You know, you want it to be familiar ground and that that's true with your mind as well. You know, how do you yeah. put yourself in that kind of, so the mantras and the, um, you know, practice the ideas in the training or in the process before the thing. That's, that's great. I'm, I'm curious then. And, um, I, you know, I never, I never want to, I never want to make the conversation about, uh, other people. We don't know what's going on in someone else's mind. You know, we get on the start line and we see the other athletes, but I don't know what they're thinking for sure. But we, we tend to kind of notice, and it's always easier with these kinds of things to see it in someone else than to see it in ourselves. Um, in that sense, when you, when, when you line up for a workout or you line up for a race, or even if you're not in it, but you're observing it, um, what do you see from other people that, that shows you what you're feeling, whether, positively or not do you, do you is there times where you see okay that i can get in as best as i can guess i i think that this is how this person's thinking or feeling right now any of that um i mean i know for myself a lot of it usually is like the shoulder so a lot of times you can kind of tell when someone's running pretty freely and just like you know relaxed and you know really not wasting energy um so i think you know, yeah, in my opinion, I guess that's one of the big giveaways. And I know that is for myself as well. And so a lot of times if I'm observing my teammates and I'm, you know, oftentimes more nervous for them than like, sometimes you are for your own races because you can't do anything yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at the shoulders, you look at kind of the arm carriage, like, okay, yeah, they look like they're really like, mm -hmm. they're running freely right now. And usually that means that they're, they're in a good headspace as well. I, does, does it, uh, 
like you just mentioned your teammates, you're watching your teammates and you see it and you think to yourself, ah, yes, they're, they're, it. they're yeah. there. They've got, it. oh yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. So cool. So cool. <laughs> I always like remember watching like Emily, uh, she's always really, really good about like being on the rail, like doing the least amount of work and whenever you can see her just cover every single move, you're like, she's on it today. Like yeah. she's feeling good. And I, I, I remember watching her do that at the 2016 Olympic trials and it was just so exciting. And it, that just like made me so happy and gave me so much confidence in going into my own race, just watching her run like that. Um, it's really fun. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, and I think that's one of the things, it's one of the joys with the sport, you know, certainly with the team aspect, when you can enjoy this thing in, in its successes together with other people, it's just so powerful. So my, my final question, if I can, um, is just as you think about the, the future in your endeavors here now and uh, where you have made great progress and where you have stumbled in your journey over these years, um, what, are, what are your thoughts moving forward about, you, you even mentioned, you know, you've got to do, you've got to work at this thing. It doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. Um, do you feel confident in what you're doing to try to sustain and, and advance that work? Where are you in all of that? I do, you know, I feel like this year more than ever, I've really found the team of people that I can lean on, um, to, you know, become my best self or work towards becoming my best self. Um, you know, I think I've made a really healthy mind shift in my mindset of what I define as success. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a, a place or a certain time. It's was I my, my best self that day. And, um, you know, I think that I really saw that this year through the fact that I, you know, had three very different races at the end of the season, just with how they played out. And I was able to navigate them and rely on, you know, skills I had to, you know, I think have success that day. And, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, if there's anything I've learned from the previous years is that despite feeling like I had a successful year, I don't have it all figured out. And so, um, you know, it's constantly a learning process and to go away from some of these things that have really helped, you know, the, you know, working with the therapist and, you know, challenging the ideas of what I, how I think races need to play out for me to be successful. Um, that's how I'm going to continue, I think, to grow in the sport and, um, you know, not being afraid to just put myself out there knowing that it may not always pay off. I think mm. being willing to do that, because that's how, you know, you find yourself with opportunities you can capitalize on. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely can appreciate that. So I said that was my last question, but I actually have one just a really small thing. When you're in a race, or maybe it's just like if people are posting on social media or something, but what's one thing that people would like say or shout or could say or shout to you that would really encourage you in the midst of the thing you're trying to accomplish? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I mean, I would say my two like big, like, uh, like power words or mantras have been fearless and belong. So one of those mm -hmm. two are, are pretty important, like <laughs> meaningful to me. So, 
Um, I always wear my fearless um, Arctic bracelet because fearless was the word I had on my wrist in London and then belong is the word I had in Tokyo. So I love it. I love it. All right. <laughs> so when you're running a race for everyone in the stands while they're watching you, they should say you are fearless and you belong. <laughs> Maybe not everyone all the time. Yes. That's, that's awesome. So, no, I appreciate that because, you know, we want to in the sport, we want to be able to encourage and support. Um, and and that, you know, what does that mean to try to uplift each other? Well, and so thank you. Thank you for being willing to share that. Thanks. Well, with that, Courtney, you have given much by being willing to share your time with us here, with our audience. Um, certainly is much appreciated. It's such a great joy to be able to watch over these years how your career has gone. And um, I think more than anything, it, to be able to see where you have the ebb and flow, where you have struggled and where you have succeeded and, and your willingness to kind of talk us through some of that. Um, it just brings it so much to life and so close to home for all of us. You know, we don't have to be uh, running <laughs> Olympic silver medal positions um, to, to feel these kinds of struggles, right? And so yeah. uh, appreciate that you're willing, willing to share those things with us. Thanks again yeah. for coming on. Thanks Thank again for you. your time. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Well, once again, we can appreciate the message here. Thank you, Courtney. And and in thinking about confidence and the ebb and flow in the experience, as noted, I just want to I just want to say, for all of our sakes, think about a time or think about a thing that has shaken our confidence, mm -hmm. that has made us doubt, or that has made us question our capacities or our efforts or you know any of those kinds of things. Um, what do we do when we're in that state? And how do we get back out of it? So some great suggestions from Courtney there. Mm -hmm. And if there's one thing that really I noticed most immediately is that this is something that we have to work on. It is not a thing that we accomplish and then are permanently fixed in a state. Um, and so we have to work on it. And we have to work on it when it's not a problem most so that it doesn't become a problem. Mm -hmm. So this is this is me trying to understand how I'm perceiving myself and my efforts and the people around me and all of that kind of stuff um, and, and being clear with myself uh, in terms of my abilities and capacities and some of that. And, and there's so many layers, but mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, thank you, Courtney. I wish I could have been there. I there. told her as much. Super lucky. I said Andy <laughs> wished she could have been there. Uh-huh. <laughs> So maybe we'll just have to have Courtney on again I would love sometime that. soon. You're welcome and... back anytime, Courtney. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, I appreciate that time. So with that, let's get on to some exceptional, interesting, and totally crazy things from the world of running. Okay, first up, we have another shout out from one of our athletes. This time, Bill ran a marathon PR about 19 seconds. So he, he shaved it a bit. But what is most notable here is in the Detroit Marathon, the week after he ran the Chicago Marathon, and on that exceptionally hot day that many of us found to be just totally abysmal, um, he had a hard time that day. And so he said to himself, I've got more. I can do more. Let's run another one next weekend. <laughs> okay. Well, it worked out. Nice work, Bill. Exceptional. And I have to imagine that he probably, you know, did some of those recovery tips that we gave on last week's episode. Oh, yeah. We were working hard to yeah. get that body bouncing back as fast as possible. That's awesome. Congrats, Great Bill. Work. So a new American record 
Ah, yes. We Number one on the list good today. Info here. Yes, in the women's 10K, which mm-hmm. you should know by now after listening to us that when we say 10K, we're talking about a road race because if it's on the track, it's called 10,000 meters. And if you did 10,000, did you say 10,000? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you didn't know that, don't feel bad. You just learned something no, new. I didn't know that until the last couple of years, so it's an interesting fact. Okay. So. Saturday. According to CBS Boston, at this uh, first professional appearance for Wayne Kalati, she ran a American record wow. 10K on the roads. So this Now, of course, this is breaking Molly Huddle's 2015 American Legendary. record. Running a time, uh, let's see, Kalati ran 31.18. Wow. For 10K on the road. And Natasha Rogers, previous guest on the podcast, she was fourth place and Ah. ran a very solid time. Yep. Excellent. Congrats. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. So that was that the Boston 10K for women on Saturday, October 16th. Well, number two on our list here is actually a collection of a few things. We basically were just encountering, mostly reported by Let's Run, but there's a few other sources here, encountering some really odd things that have been happening lately or been announced lately and running. And so we thought we would share a few of them with you. First, uh, marathoners in an upcoming marathon in Japan will be stopped on the course so that pedestrians can cross the course. Yes, you heard that right. The racers will be stopped if there are pedestrians who need to cross. This has not happened yet. So according to Japan Running News, in this marathon in Japan, it's also happening on voting day for that area. And they have poll locations all over the place around where the course is. And they decided that the voting is taking precedence. And so because they expect 50,000 people to be showing up for polls around the same time as the race, that they felt they needed to give priority to the pedestrians who are going to vote. So they're no. planning to literally block the course when pedestrians need to cross. Oh, and they have told no. their elite racers to beware. They might be stopping them mid-race at random intervals. And get this. How many different places do the polling locations cross the course? 20 different no. places on the course. <laughs> this is this is worth postponing this the race This makes for. me laugh. I would, I would laugh. like that. That would really, really bother me. And you know some woman will just bulldoze through the pedestrian. Oh, yeah. Just, like, you just know that's going to happen. This because, is just straight up bad planning. Because a lot of times we have that, like, flight ver- flight or flight. Fight, fight or flight. But <laughs> well, you could you could choose flight between flight. flight or flight. It's just the nature really of any, how you fly. I don't really have any yeah. fight in me. So, okay. um, yeah, fight or flight. So I, I have a feeling that some people will just be, like, totally, like, instinctual and plowing through people. I don't know. I'm a maybe, little maybe worried. Not. I'm a little worried of how this is going to unfold. Yeah. Well, okay. So any of those that who were traveling a distance for that race, they're going to be a bit frustrated if that indeed does happen. Of course. Who knows? Time will tell. Yeah. If you've ever seen, and some races do this, I know Boston's notorious for this, there is a method of being able to get pedestrians across the road at the same time as the race without stopping either. It's very clever, and it involves people like slowly shifting the flow of the running traffic as the pedestrians are coming through and then shifting it back as the pedestrians are going. Oh, oh yeah, it works. I've never noticed. It's really cool. Interesting. But I don't think that's what they were talking about for this race, so we'll see. We'll see. All right, well, additionally, uh, there's apparently been a couple This was back at the London Marathon. They have recently been found out. This couple who uh, tried to tried to bandit the race, but only one of them. In London, yes, in London, but only one of them bandited the race. Um, And what it was was they took one of the bibs. One of them had entered, and they photocopied it. And the other one wore the same exact bib, just a printed copy of it. 
and naturally thought they would get away with it. It's actually a fairly clever way to bandit a race because you look like you have a bib. But, you know, then there's social media where everyone's taking yeah. pictures of everything. Well, they actually are scanning numbers now for the photos. They do that, too. That's how they categorize them. That is not how they were caught in this instance, oh, no? apparently. However, um, yes, according to K News, they were caught because someone taking pictures, just like the pedestrians and stuff, uh, the spectators, rather, <laughs> were taking pictures, and uh, someone noticed, and it w- they posted it up well, on they, social media. Well, maybe they were running next to each other, because that'd be silly. They were running next to each well, other. Why would they do that? Because that was the whole point. So if you look deeper into the story, the wife was signed up for the race. This was, I don't know if it was her first marathon or just her like her first london marathon i don't know exactly but she got really nervous near race time about being able to get through it and so she decided she really wanted her husband with her that which is great that's noble but instead of trying you know he can't register for the london marathon three days before the race there's no way that's going to happen so they photocopied her bib and he ran with her so instead uh she got disqualified that's very embarrassing yeah i bet they regretted they're all over the internet oh no Well, they might have gotten away with it, too, if not for that meddling social media. All right. Uh, Finally, our third strange thing here is Ian Butler apparently ran the wrong way in the Chicago Marathon. Ian Butler was in the elite field, ran the wrong way in the Chicago Marathon on purpose. Tell me how this happens. (laughs) How does it happen? We've got more here in a okay. moment well so anyway here's how it happened uh, reported by let's run and what what he did and by the way we linked to the article that shows you the video so if you want to actually watch it it's really funny it's actually especially funny to hear the spectators reacting because they're like no 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 what is he doing is it like they start freaking out because this guy just turns around and runs the wrong way um he was trying to catch up to the chase pack behind him think on that for a moment mind blowing i know okay, he's no, trying to no. catch up i know why because he wants to be with them I, yes okay so when oh, i ran no, the you're chicago- gonna exp- oh man <laughs> when i <laughs> i'm gonna expose myself when i would ran the chicago marathon <laughs> nobody wants to see that <laughs> oh my goodness. but anyway when I, when I ran the chicago marathon i'm gonna just breeze right through that um when i ran the chicago marathon i did the same thing i was ahead of my pace group and so i kind of like jogged and i started running back a little bit i'm like no i'll just wait here so i kind of like <laughs> waited for my group to catch up because i was running too fast and i knew it but i like wanted to run with everyone else all right I so with my group a message then for ian butler and for andy <laughs> which is it, there, there are two things in life where patience solves any problem in a race if you feel like you're too far ahead just wait you won't be for long you don't need to turn around you don't need to do some extra it was work. like not on purpose it was like i'm it sure the same thing par. with ian like i think it was the same thing with ian i'm guessing if we were to like have a conversation about this like he probably wasn't thinking he probably was just like oh i should be with that group and like you're so used to in training doing stuff like that that like uh, listen <laughs> it's on par with if you're choking on ice, just wait. It will melt. Is that actually... I think you can actually choke on ice. Okay, I don't know. That's not good advice. I'm no, just, it's not. Just, Guys, don't try it. That's Zach a reference to a really funny here. YouTube video, Andy. And okay. Ian, he doesn't understand us. He doesn't get it. <sighs> well, anyway, um, guess what? Ian did, in fact, catch the chase pack behind him successfully. Okay. And later blew you. up. And it did not go well for him. But... He did, in fact, actually run a, a, a valiant race because he basically did that thing where it's like, I'm just going to go out and see see where I end up. And he found out early in the race that he was with the lead pack and he didn't want to be. So okay. that's the whole thing. Sure. All right. Well, we've got one more. Number three on the list. Andy, what happened? Eilish McCulgan set a new European record and a new Great Britain record and a new course record at the Great, Great South Run. It's a 10-mile run huh. where she ran 50-43. 
You guys, That's this good. is an impressive time. She bested Lona Sepp Peters' previous European yeah. record and Paula Radcliffe's previous British record. Well done. So we already know because if if you've been following Eilish McColgan this last twelve months, she's basically just like breaking every record, yeah. just going after Some of them all of them. Her mom's, yeah. Many of them are her mothers. Others and Paula are Paula Radcliffe's. <laughs> and so, what are you gonna do? Uh, well, she's just doing it all. And and this being apparently like her closing race of the season, which you know for professionals, who knows what that really means. But she uh, broke another wow. on the roads. Good for her. Excellent stuff. Getting, getting those longer and longer races under her belt. She did her first half marathon this season, too. Uh, and that also happened to just go really well, too. Yeah. Well, that about does it for now. But, of course, we've got more for you next week. So always stick around for an exceptional time in the world of running. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the A to Z Running Podcast. We are planning to be here this week and the next and the next. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. We'd love to have you back. And if you have any thoughts, shoot us a message on any of the platforms. We'd be happy to connect with you. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next week.